Equosity, the podcast about all things equine with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexander Curlin. I'm the author of The Click That Teaches, a step-by-step guide in pictures, and many other books and DVDs on clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, who's one of the co-founders of Cavalia. So, Dominique, what are we going to talk about today? I want to read you some statements that I saw on various Facebook pages in the positive reinforcement community. Oh, that could be either interesting or scary. Spoiler alert, I'm not advocating for those statements, okay? Okay. I'm going to offer another view, but you're going to recognize these statements. You see them all the time. And so um, I think... So I'll start by reading the statements and then I'll tell you why. It took me a while to get to this on the podcast. I hesitated a lot before I wanted to jump into this conversation, but I'll tell you why in the end I decided to, to, uh, to bring it up. So the statements. With positive reinforcement, we stimulate the system of seeking, care, and play. If you train with pressure, you're stimulating the fear and rage circuits in the brain. Okay, you've seen this. We want to bring the emotional system that, bringing these emotional system into play. You've seen this, bringing the uh, seeking system into play during our training, The chemistry of activating these circuits create the calm we're looking for. So you recognize here a lot of Panksepp's work. And so Panksepp says the brain is the seat of seven basic emotions. And that those emotions are shared with all mammals. And that when one of these circuits is triggered, we have a stereotypic response that Uh, include some physiological changes and a particular action, for instance, freeze when the fear circuit is triggered or attack if the anger circuit is triggered. So you see this a lot on the R+, the the positive reinforcement um, groups and, and pages. And the reason why I wanted to bring it up is because I think that there's a more helpful a more verifiable way, more consistent with our behavioral lens to talk about this. Okay. So this being emotions, the subject is again, emotions. We've talked about it some on the podcast, but I'd like to bring it up again. And I hesitated because it's a very vast and complex uh, subject. Yes. And I feel like I'm diving into the deep end of the pool here. And, and I, I, I want to make justice to what I've read and that has been uh, inspiring to me. And so I'm going to give you my sources so that people can go and consult my sources directly and make sure that, you know, they're getting the information from the source. But I want to bring it up and, and let you know about what I've read and why it's been so important to me, because okay. some of this stuff has really changed not just my animal's life, but my own too. 
Um, and so I'd like to share it in that spirit. Okay. okay. Not so much in the spirit of, you know, giving a lecture on this, but more on these are sources that have made a difference for me. Go read them, go view the videos and, and maybe open a door for someone else um, and it might help them. So the sources that have, there have basically three sources on this, you know, that what I'm going to bring up today. There's Susan Friedman's presentation at Clicker Expo 2019. Yes. So her video was called, and it's still available. If you go on uh, the Karen Pryor Clicker Training website, Video on Demand, it's still there. It's called Emotions Inside and Out. So I was there during that presentation, and, and it was very, for me, it was a, um, a good, um, it gave me a good overview. Um, and she references a lot of articles and a lot of researches. So you can, yes. you can look at the, all the references that she gives. My second source is one that she pointed me to. Um, it's Joe Lang's article. It's called Emotions and Emotional Behavior, a Constructional Approach to Understanding Some Social Benefits of Aggression. It's, it's a very good article. It takes a little bit of effort to read it, but it's really worth it. And my third source is uh, Liza Feldman Barrett, How Emotions Are Made. Um, so this yes. is a book. It's helpful in that it gives us, it explains, and Joe Lang's explained this too, that there are basically two there are more than two, but we'll, for today's purpose, we'll divide the approaches towards emotion in, in two camps. So there's the classical view, which has been around for a very long time and is still yes. very prevalent, and which Panksepp is a part of. And there's the constructional approach, which comes more from Skinner and then from Gold Diamond and then from Joe Lang. So that's like that family of people, if you like. Yes. So the Panksepps, what I the statement I read to you before says that the emotions are inside us, inside our brain, inside the animal's brain. There are all these circuits that are being triggered and that there's like a, a set thing, it's built in. In a, into us, it's built in into our brains, it's universal. If you stimulate this circuit, you know, the circuit of fear or the circuit of, you know, um, uh, anger, that everyone will have the same kind of feeling and reactions all over the planet, all the animals, people of every age. And, 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 then, and then it will look, so if, if you show uh, photos of somebody in the United States looking angry and somebody in Europe looking angry and somebody in South America looking angry, it'll all look more or less the, the same. same. Yeah. Yes. yes. There'll be a, an expression of anger. That's right. That, that we would recognize. That, there's a fingerprint. Yes. Yeah. And so we would recognize it. And so if an annoying person triggers your anger in your arms, well, your blood pressure your, will rise, you will, well, you, you will yell, and you will feel the furry. And so would anyone else. Yes. So 
this view it's of emotion, it's been around for a long time. I mean, I'll, I'll give you some people who have believed a version of it, you know, Plato. How do you say that in English? Plato? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Hippocrates? 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 How do you say it in English? I don't know how to pronounce these names. Buddha? René Descartes is easy because it's French, so I can say René Descartes. <laughs> yes, Sigmund be. Freud is part of the classical view. Charles Darwin, that it, we've evolved, we've all evolved, that it's an evolutionary adaptation, that it's inside of us. And even today, the Dalai Lama, the Dalai Lama is also, his views are also rooted in the classical view. And so, you know, when you feel, for me, I know that I've done a lot of meditation in my life, you know, and when, when you would have a disruptive emotion, so I would sit down and I would look at my emotion as if it were inside of me, trying to detach myself from it and being a witness of my emotion. But basically, the idea was that this emotion was inside of you. Yeah. It's part of you. It's it part you. of you. It's you. It's inside right. of you. Right. It's like saying you're an angry person. Yeah. So yeah. you're an aggressive dog. And, and something inside of me, you know, Susan, she talks about a push pull. She says it's like we in this view, we think that the emotion is pushing us, is pushing the behavior out instead of mm, what yes. will come, which is the 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 constructional view, which has a different explanation, which says that it's actually the context that is pulling the, the behavior. So this constructional view, it, it gives us a way to talk about emotions, to work with emotions, which I think most of us who have been, you know, trying to, to put on our behavioral lenses or behavioral um, yeah, lenses, it, it's, it's more, um, it uses more of what we have learned to talk about yes. emotions. Yep. And, and it finds that the emotions are not built in. They are not uh, universal. They are not a fixed brain reactions. The emotions, this view says that the emotions can be approached within the context of contingency analysis. It says that the emotions are a descriptor of the contingency in which we are. They are a, they, they describe, they are learned. So we have all these physiological sensations, our, our brain, perceives all these sensations, we have learned a word for these sensation in a certain context. So yes. we have learned these, if it's cultural, our emotions are cultural. You know, Susan gives um, the example that it's just like colors. She says in Africa, they, have a, they don't have a color for orange. They have a color for a word for orange. They have a word for yellow, like banana. Uh, but they don't have a word for orange. And she says, you know, it's the same for us. We have all these shades of blues and we all call it blue, but it's all these different shades. So 
colors are culturally built or culturally learned, and so are emotions. So we, we learn to, to put a word on sensations that we, we feel in a certain context. And then our brain will catalog all this and we will know that in a certain context, we will feel anxious. Yes. Now, I want to say something about... But what, but what you feel or call anxious, you'd have no idea... You don't know what... If, if it's what I call anxious. Absolutely. Because it's, it's been learned. It's been learned. So your, your anxiety could be what you would call anxiety, what you are experiencing and the conditions under which you are experiencing it may be completely different from what I am experiencing and the, under the same conditions. So it's learned. Absolutely. And, and, you know, she gives an example, Susan, in her presentation about this, because she says, you know, let's say I look at you and you have really tight lips. And I think, oh my God, she's like really angry. But actually, you just put some chapstick on. Yeah. Because she says bamboos, they do that, I think, when they're angry. They, they, they really, like, press their lips. Um, but how would you know? You know, how do I know if you're angry or if, if you just put some chapstick yeah. on? I don't. Um, but the... And that's why, actually, because they're private events. The emotions are private events. And I, I just want to make one little disclaimer here, because in his article, Joe Lang, he really distinguishes between the private events, the emotions, and the emotional behavior. And I'm not going to get into too much of it, because I think if people are interested in this, they should really go to the article. He goes through a long example of this, but basically what he says is that the, the contingencies that, the, that are related to the private event, to the emotion, because you, you, there's, there's, so there's this context and your emotions are being triggered by this set of contingency, okay? Yep. And then there's a moment where you may act on these emotions. You may act, you may have, you may show emotional behaviors. So this, but once the emotional behavior becomes public, it may be maintained by consequences of its own. So there may be another set of contingency around the emotional behavior that is different from the set of contingency that is related to the original emotion, the original private event. So he says it's a big challenge when you're trying to yes. intervene because sometimes you, you, you know, you, he said if it were only as simple as just having the one emotion that is a descriptor of the contingencies ahead, it would make our jobs easier. Unfortunately, in between the moment you feel that emotion and the moment you make it public, there's a gap there which we can use as human beings uh, to not do things we will regret later. But once, yes. once that emotional behavior becomes public, 
then there's also another set of contingencies which will make the analysis more complicated. So it's important to be aware of this and to maybe go to the article if you want to dive into it. So if, if for example, as we're chatting back and forth, I see that I've just gotten an email from, let's say, say I'm at work and I have a supervisor. And so as we're chatting back and forth, I get an email from my supervisor that is saying, when you get off that podcast interview, I want to see you in my office. Okay. Okay. Well, that could be pretty stomach churning. Yeah. It could create for me feelings, you know, I can see uh, feelings of anxiety. Oh, oops. What have I done? Yeah. Bad contingency ahead. Yeah. And I'm in conversation with you or someone else has just come into the room. And so they're walking in on uh, somebody who is now feeling, I'm feeling that anxiousness of what's going to happen to me. And so I might, if you come into the room, I might speak to you uh, more sharply than I normally would. Mm -hmm. So now I've, I've, the situation's just become more complex yeah, hasn't it it has it has because there's something else going on on top like yeah. in this article he gives an example of a kid on a bus kid who has um challenges i don't remember if it's a if it's autism or i don't remember i hope i'll remember this example the bus stops and the kid is not comfortable when the bus is stopping, not going anywhere. I don't remember why the bus stopped, if there was like a, a, a tire or something. I don't remember. But the, um, the kid uh, acts out. He wants to return back home. He doesn't want to stay in the bus. I can't remember the article, the, the, the example well enough. I'm afraid I won't do it justice. But basically, you know, he says sometimes you will do publicly something that will get you something else, but it's different from what you wanted originally. It's different. This contingency is different from the contingency that is re relevant to your emotion. It's something else altogether. You may, um, I think he gave another example where the the kid was getting social attention from behaving in an undesirable way uh originally the kid wanted some distance but he was also getting attention when the behavior became public anyway that's why i don't want to get too much into it because it complicates things and i just and what i want to do today more is just bring back the idea that the emotion is in the contingency. It's not in us, it's not in our animal. To look more at the contingency when, because when we want to change emotions, because we hear that a lot too. You know, you hear, oh, my dog is, you used to hear that a lot. My dog is very aggressive. Before I can start training him, I need to change his emotion. Have you heard this? Yes. Years ago, I yeah. you you heard that. No, you still hear you it. Still hear you still hear it. it. So and that you you can't train. You can't because train the, because the animal isn't calm. That's right. He's too aggressive. He's too aroused. So you need to change the emotion before you can start training. You hear that too. How do you do that? You know, how do you change emotion? How do you change a private event if it's inside the animal? 
But if the if the emotion is inside the contingency, now you can start working. So I want to read you something from this Joe Lang's article. Okay. A contingency analysis of emotion, which is what we're advocating for here, does not attempt to eliminate those emotions considered undesirable, disruptive, or distressful. It attempts to sensitize people. In this case, we're talking about uh, people working with other people. Okay. Yeah. So it's in the context of, of, this, um, of this house where there are kids that have challenges. It attempts to sensitize people to those emotions so they can be util utilized to analyze and control the contingencies relevant to them and thereby to control these emotions. So, you know, what this did for me is instead of sitting down looking at my dis distressful emotions, you know, Susan says, well, if you're not feeling good, change the contingency. Yes. Because that's where your emotion lies. It lies yeah. in the contingency. So change the conditions. Change the conditions. So whether it's the antecedent yeah. conditions or the consequence condition, change the condition. So, so it's so empowering for me, you know, instead of just accepting emotions as a natural, naturally occurring event that you're kind of, you know, now it's this thing inside me and my rationality needs to overcome it. I need to not act on it. I need to breathe. I need to meditate on it. No, do a functional analysis, change the contingency. Yes. You know, yes. that's what you do. Yeah. And I found this to be, and, and you know, you're not flawed. Change your con contingency. I really, for me, I felt this was very prescriptive, very empowering. And now every time I feel irritation, every time I feel some kind of emotion coming up, I always go there. I always look at what is the context in which, what, what, is, the, the, what is the contingency ahead? What have I learned from my past that is making me feel this emotion? What is the contingency that my brain thinks is coming ahead? Yeah. I had a, a really wonderful email uh, not too long after, I think it was actually one of, one of our podcasts where we were talking about this or might have been a webinar with Susan, but someone emailed me and said, you know, I've been suffering from depression. Right. But I now understand that it's a function of the conditions. Yes. And, and I've changed them. Yeah. It's like, wow, is that ever amazing so and empowering. The degree that an individual has control over their environment is the yeah. degree to which they have control over their emotions. So yes. just put whatever word, whatever emotion you want in there. So the degree that an individual has control over their environment is the degree to which they have a control over their depression, over their anger, over whatever, you know, you, so right. you, you, and, and you can be constructional in that because you can say, well, I'd love to be happy. Okay. Yeah. Under what conditions yes. have you been happy? Yeah. 
Can you identify conditions in which you have experienced what you would consider to be happy yep. or content or whatever those those emotions that you would like to have more of? What are the conditions yeah. under which you've experienced them? Then go create those conditions. Yeah, what conditions am I likely to feel this way given my historic outcomes? Yeah. So, you know, you want to change emotion, change contingencies. That's my message today. That's what I wanted to talk about. Yeah. And, you know, I, I spent a lot of hours reading this article, looking at this video and, you know, reading this book. But in the end, that's what I'm left with. And I find it very empowering. It's very consistent with everything we've been learning about behavior, you know, that it's yeah. so I, I, can, I really grasp it. Um, and so if and again, it's the same with your animal. So your animal, is he stumping his feet because he's frustrated? Or is he stumping his feet because the rate of reinforcement is too low? It's not the same thing. You know, you're, you're not saying he's frustrated, that's why he's doing this. You're really analyzing the contingency. And so frustration is really a low rate of reinforcement. Yes. Could be something else, but or you right, know maybe right, maybe it's right. not knowing how yes. to access reinforcement. Yeah. I mean, but in the first phases of extinction. Yeah. So, but basically, it's not he's not behaving because he's because emotions. You know, you'll you'll see that too in Joe Lang's article. Emotions don't cause behavior, nor are they caused by behavior. In this approach, you look at the contingency. That's the be the behavior is occurring with is relevant to and determined by contingency. So Panksep, to go back to yeah, the beginning. The brain Panksep, we we <laughs> in part we grabbed hold of Panksep because Karen Pryor became interested in in the neuroscience and the you know wanted to have is there an explanation for some of the things yeah. that we see in clicker training? Like we see that what I, I often refer to as the Helen Keller moment. And you know, when you get that, that initial excitement, when an animal is, begins to figure out that it has control mm -hmm. over, over the outcome, that, that it can get you to reach into your pocket and, and hand him a treat. And, you know, we've been learning and Susan Friedman is a great one for helping us to understand this, but we've been learning that control is a primary reinforcer, mm -hmm. how powerful that is, how important that is. Yep. So Karen wanted to understand more of well, why, Everyone what wants to understand emotion. It's yeah. been a challenge because, of you course. know, we're, we want things that are measurable. And here we are, you know, in front of something that is so private. And so yeah. everybody's been trying to have a way of explaining well, it so yeah sure yeah and that that there so there was another place that i was going to go for a moment so we'll, we'll so bear with me for a okay. moment so so karen karen wanted to understand she wanted to explore is there uh in terms of the neuroscience what can it offer us mm -hmm. that gives us further support for the validity of this approach that we're taking using 
marker signals and positive reinforcement. And, and so she was interviewing various uh, neuroscientists, including Panksepp, and was very intrigued by his description of the seeker circuit. Panksepp would say the seeking circuit is activated when all the other systems are activated. So it's not just when you are feeling playful, it's also activated when fear affective systems are activated and so on. What I found interesting and the reason that I looked, that I liked Pengsepp's work as a stepping stone is that throughout my life, I have always recognized that animals have a rich emotional life, that they experience emotions. Yeah. Now, whether those emotions are the same as mine, who knows? But I don't know if your emotions are the same That's as mine. Right. But the fact remains that I think we we both experience something that where it would be accurate to call them emotions. And animals do as well. Yeah. And throughout when you started to, you know, to reference some of the the philosophers uh, and how they have viewed emotions and, and the attitude towards animals, there's been a huge denial of animals having emotions. Look at look at how we treat farm animals, yeah. you know, and the and the idea of you know that horses do not have a rich emotional life, and yet we'll still say they're stubborn, you know, and it's like we can't have it both ways. Yeah, but you know, I learned something uh, when doing uh, the that I learned also that the reason why uh, Skinner was labeled radical was that he admitted that there were emotions. Yes. Whereas the people before him said they were not. What he said, however, was that it was outside because it could not be measured. It was outside yes. of the purview of, of science. And, and so until we could measure it, we would not really use it in our analysis but he did not deny that there were emotion. Um, and so that's why he, he was labeled radical um, in comparison with the blank slaters before him. But I think with, with this constructional approach, we can, because we know that, of course, you know, the neuroscience, I'm sure, you know, it will continue to evolve and, and uh, provide other explanations and other ways to talk about and think about and approach even behaviors, but right because we can measure we can measure a lot of things now that could not be measured when Skinner was that's right uh, working yeah so but, but I, we I still also can't like... really measure or or it's it's still a challenge the emotion is right. still a challenge. And you know, one of the things that Susan says she, when she talks about Panksepp, she says, you know, I think there was a logical error in which we are, mis we are mistaking the switch with the source of electricity. Yes. And, and she, she, she refutes Panksepp's approach, um, you know, and he, he, he is part of that classical view. And I think this constructional view um, that Joe Lang and Gold Diamonds have been offering us for us as be as people who study behavior analysis. I think it's 
it, it works, it's prescriptive, we can work with it. Um, and like I said, I know in my life as a person, it has made a difference. It feels much more empowering to view emotions this way than as, you know, oh, I'm too sensitive on this, you know, I'm, no, it's in the contingency. Yeah, or there's something, you know, that there's something in my brain. Yeah, I got, I got a fragile nervous system. Like you hear that yeah. of animal, his mother, you know, had a very fragile nervous system. And so he inherited his mother's fragile nervous system. Yeah. You hear that a lot. So what do you do yes. with that? Tough luck. You're, 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 you're stuck with it. Whereas if you start, you know, putting all these emotions and look and make a contingency analysis, well, that's a whole yeah. other ballgame. Now you can yeah. start working. Now you don't have right. a flawed person or a flawed animal. You just have um, the brain is, is, is describing a contingency. Um, and if it's a negative contingency, you'll have bad feelings. And if it's maybe I'm oversimplifying it, and maybe not, yeah. but, uh, and no. if it's a, you know, happy, Happy is the brain telling you there's a positive contingency ahead. And, you know, Susan talks about the science sisters, mm. which I think is a lovely expression. Yeah, yeah. And, and all of the sisters need to come to the table yeah. and participate. So, but I do like the idea of, you know, what lens are we looking at something? Mm. So, so we're looking at when we're, talking about training, we're looking through the behavioral lens. Yeah. And we know that something's going on in the brain yeah. that is processing uh, all of the stimuli. We know that that you know our brains are working. As a matter of we fact, apparently necessarily... all the circuits are, it's, you know, because people will say the, the seeking circuit, but apparently all the circuits are firing through all the yeah. emotions. Right, right. So and I don't have to know which part of my brain is now uh, triggered, firing yeah. and, and triggered and which part would be lighting up and all the rest of it. And how is that different from what would be going on in your brain to be able to change the contingencies to have an effect on another individual yeah. and their experience. And and I think, so it's, it's what lens are you looking at? Mm -hmm. And it's not to discount the importance of the others, because I don't want to make it sound to somebody who is suffering from depression of, oh, they make it sound so glib and so easy. Right. I can barely out of, get out of bed. Yeah, yeah. And they're telling me, change the contingencies. Yeah. Like one of the things we're learning that is so fascinating is the effect of our gut microorganisms on our emotions. So you could say, well, change the contingencies. Well, maybe the contingencies we need to change are what we're eating. Yeah, but you know, she she made because there are a lot of things that impact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, she she yeah. she made Susan at the end of her um of her presentation. Someone asked a question. You can't hear the question in the video, but it's pretty. You know, it's a, it's along the lines that you're describing right now. And she said, "If I drink too much coffee, my behavior changes. We don't call that learning." Okay, so what, what she was talking throughout her presentation what it was about learned behavior. 
So, so she said there, there are times when medication is the golden ticket to get to that place of shaping and learning. So yeah, that I, I absolutely, I agree with you. And, and so we're talking learned behaviors here um, because like she says, you know, you drink coffee, you don't, you don't control everything that's going to happen. Right. Yeah. So she made, she made a nuance there too. There's so many nuances. This is why I hesitated to talk about this subject because I thought, oh my, I'm getting into something here. But um, I just find it helpful to know that there are these various approaches. And so when you, when, you know, when you read something like, oh, you should really thrive at, you should really try to uh, trigger the seeking circuit in your animal's brain. I just find that it's like adding an, an, a layer of complexity yes. that we don't yeah. need. Just, you know, looking at the contingency is an approach that is certainly documented now and that we can work with easily, that we can understand. And so I just, I, I like the fact that people could have that. Uh, awareness that there are different right. approaches and that this approach, the constructional approach is pretty efficient for us to work with, yeah. uh, with our animals who cannot express their emotions. And actually Susan makes a joke too about that because she says, even humans, you know, she has this friend who's a psychotherapist and she, and he, she said to Susan, you know, don't overestimate the, um, the, the, the value of words, because people lie all the time, they lie to yes. their therapist, they lie to themselves. So the fact that our animals cannot express their emotions with this approach is not a problem. Because it, right, because they are expressing it, they are expressing behavior. it to their behavior. But in right. but now you can look at the contingency to change those emotions. So, so one of the big changes culturally that is beginning to occur is that we are acknowledging that animals have emotions, that they have a rich emotional life. In my inbox today, there was a National Geographic is doing a series on whales okay. and they're doing, a, a, so they're, they're doing all kinds of promotions to let you know that, that this is coming. Apparently they've created a a movie and it's being put out on the Disney Channel. And so I, I watched the trailer and it's got, you know, this beautiful music. David Cameron was the did the Titanic, was the director. So you can you can imagine the kind of music that they were getting and and, and they're there the trailer is saying, you know, the, the the whales, uh they have they were discovering that they they love they play, they mourn, just like us. Mm. And it's like, yeah, we've, yeah, so, uh, you know, yes, they do. Mm. And, and how sad that this seems like um, a discovery, a novel yeah. discovery, mm. right? Instead of saying, well, yes, yeah. <laughs> but we've had, we've had this cultural bias that keeps us from seeing the emotions that are expressed by our animals. So one of the things that we need to do as, as good animal caretakers is to really 
become aware of, pay attention to, listen to, respond to the emotional behaviors that we are seeing presented from our animals and that these things uh, mean things. It doesn't mean that your animal is aggressive or fearful. It means that your animal is fearful under these conditions. Your animal is aggressive under these conditions. Your animal is tail wagging and happy under these conditions. And that those that's important. So when we're training and you say, you know, what is it that you would like your animal to do? Well, if you're trying to get your animal to be calm and relaxed, and let's talk about, say, a dog, and you want the dog to be calm and relaxed, the time to train it is not when the mailman is coming down the sidewalk and knocking on your door to let you know you've got a package. So the so what you want to, because then you're into, you know, what Jesus talks about of don't fight extinction, because those contingencies are uh, eliciting a very different set of emotional behaviors. So what we want to do is look at, well, where is it, what, under what conditions, in what environment, are you most likely mm -hmm. to see the behaviors that you would like? So what does calm look like to you? We don't know if the animal is actually calm, but what does calm, what would your dog, your horse look like if you were to say, oh, he's really calm? We can shape that. We can, we can arrange the conditions so that under these conditions, your animal is likely to present behavior that you see as calm. And that's our starting point. Mm -hmm. That's our starting point. I think it's it's useful to 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 keep this in mind when, when we're talking yes, about emotions. Definitely. So yeah. Definitely. And so if if people want to just uh, again, I'll give my three um, resources if they want to dive into it more. Uh, so that was Joe Lang's. And the articles is actually, you don't get just the abstract on the internet. You get the whole thing. Um, so emotions and emotional behavior, a constructional approach. Susan Friedman's presentation, emotions inside and out, inside and out at Clicker Expo. And how emotions are made, the beginning of it will explain to you uh, what the classical view is, uh, how prevalent it is, how Yes. All our institutions are still working from that approach. And so it's the, the beginning of it is really interesting. So that's uh, Lisa Barrett. Yeah. And it's very readable. Yeah. yeah uh, and she's got some of the illustrations, the pictures she has are just really clear. Lisa really Feldman clear. Barrett. I was looking for the middle yeah. name. Yeah. Feldman Barrett. So how emotions are made. That was my subject for today. Excellent. Well, that was fun. So we'll, we'll leave that one and let people mull over it. Right. Very good. When Dominique and I get together to record a podcast, we usually don't have a subject mapped out in advance. These are truly conversations, not planned lectures. When we connected via Zoom, Dominique said she had something she wanted to talk about, but she wasn't going to tell me in advance what it was. I, I always love that when she does that because it truly makes for the best conversation. And it means that you don't miss 
anything. We haven't talked about the subject and, and said all the best bits before we push the record button. Instead, you get to hear everything. And Dominique has been wanting to talk about emotions and emotional behavior for a very long time. So now, finally, she was bringing this particular cat out of the bag. It's a fascinating subject. Looking at emotions through the lens of behavioral analysis certainly prompts many changes in our thinking and our language and our training. It's also a very timely topic for me because I'm currently in the middle of teaching a virtual clinic that's called Managing Energy and Emotions, the Goldilocks Principle in Action, Getting to Just Right. This is the first time that I've given this clinic, and it's a particularly fun one for me because I invited Michaela Hempen to teach it with me. She's been sharing her work this week with, that she's done with her mayor, Blondie. Blondie started out as the subject for Michaela's research project on cribbing, but that was just the first step. Now that Michaela actually owns Blondie, she's been expanding her training and looking at how she can use this protocol that she developed as a result of the cribbing project, how, how it can be used in other aspects of Blondie's training. So we're looking at how the research protocols of A-B reversals and single subject design can be used in real world training. I do love this work. There is always a new layer to explore that advances not just our training, but our connections to our horses as well. If you're interested in the virtual clinics, do check out my website, theclickercenter.com. If you ever thought you'd love to attend one of my clinics, but they were just too far away, the virtual clinics eliminate the constraint of geography. I hear so often from people that they feel all alone with the clicker training. They have no one nearby to help them with their horses. The internet removes that barrier. If you have a decent internet connection, you can invite a whole room full of clicker trainers into your living room. It's so much fun. In this clinic, we're traveling from California to New Mexico, to the East Coast, then we jump north to Canada, then across the Atlantic to visit England, Scotland, Germany, Italy, and Finland. It's a wonderful international group that has assembled for our exploration of energy and emotions. When we get started, I never know whether to say good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. What an amazing world we are living in that this kind of time travel is possible. And the best part is we get to watch each other's horses and no one has to leave home. So do come time travel with me at one of my upcoming clinics. Again, you can find out more about them at theclickercenter.com. And in the meantime, stay well, stay safe, and have fun with your horses.